a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. People will learn the truth. Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thomas, Paul Askoff on the show today. Absolutely incredible guy. He wrote a book called UFOs, The Real Story. He ties it all together. And when I say all together, I mean all of it. UFOs, entities, interdimensionals, the paranormal, poltergeist activity, time slips, uh, Bigfoot, all of it, all of it, cryptids, everything's tied together. And this guy broke it all down. Now, it is fascinating. It, it's been a while since I've heard a theory or a hypothesis where it blows my mind to the point to where now I'm just spinning and thinking of all the other cases that I've reviewed over the years and all the ancillary phenomena and how it all ties together. And I, we don't plant our flag, of course, on this show, but I think this guy's onto something here, guys. I, I really hope that your mind gets just as blown as mine did interviewing this guy. So without further ado, guys, Paul Askoff, UFOs, the real story. Very grateful to have on the show today, Paul Askoff. He is here with his new book. Uh, it is awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to reading this thing. It should be out here uh, in a couple days. So uh, tell us about your book and a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we'll just dump right into it, man. I'm excited. Okay, thank you, and uh, thanks for the welcome. Uh, my book is called UFOs, The Real Story, and this has been maybe 50 years in the making. And my idea behind the book was that people tend to do uh, pieces of the pie, shall we say. They will do like Rendlesham Forest, or they'll do Lonnie Zamora and the Socorro Saucer, or they'll do Roswell. But a few people look at the whole picture. And what I tried to do was, without being too scientific in more layman's terms, is look at the bigger picture and how the paranormal as well as ufology are all connected and why we experience things the way that we do. Mm. And I love this because there's all sorts of ancillary phenomena that are occurring with just UFOs. And yes, I agree with you. Now, I, I can appreciate the people that do the deep dives on uh, individual cases, Rendlesham Forest cases you mentioned, of course, Alani Zamora case. Uh, but the big picture of it is what is fascinating to me. And as a researcher, I think that you go through that. You go through where you pick up little bits here and then you get started with the, well, they're coming from other you know, star systems. And then it, all sorts of things. And even Jacques Vallée will ask people to report on if they got a strange phone call uh, before they saw a UFO or if there was a knock at the door and then they went there and nobody was there and then they saw a UFO. And so there seemed to be ancillary phenomena, different association associated phenomena with just the UFO phenomena in, in particular. And I'm excited about that i think that uh, yeah. hearing hearing us talk about this is going to be a lot of fun man so what got you into ufos to begin with what got me i was uh, i'll tell the story from the beginning i was 
I just had my 11th birthday. Now, this is a lot of years ago, 1968. Uh, and it was either the end of August, beginning of September. So nice, warm summer evenings. And my brother and I, our last job of the day, my father sort of ruled with a rod of iron. He wasn't cruel or anything, but it was very strict. The old-fashioned Victorian upbringing. So what he says went. And our last job of the day as the two boys was to take our dog for a walk. And our, we had a very disabled neighbour, a war veteran, and to take his dog for a walk too. And then we'd come in, put the dogs away, say goodnight to mum and dad, go to bed. That was the routine. So we'd been out, come back, it was a nice day, started to cloud over. And our home then was on the edge of a very small village. So there was no light pollution like there is now. Uh, and you literally went out of our front door and into the fields, if you like. And it was fabulous. The terrain was quite flat, so you could see a long way. So we're sat there. My father had a telescope. He wasn't an astronomer by any stretch of the imagination, but he was interested. So he always took the opportunity. And we were in the garden looking due east from our home. To the north, the sky was covered in cloud. And then there was a thick bank of cloud where there was a, a very sharp edge to the cloud. And then the, all the sudden sky was clear. As we're looking up at the sky, two UFOs, uh, one slightly to one side and slightly behind the other, came out of this bank of cloud. They went, zooming out and then just stopped dead there was no deceleration boof they were still and this maintained the same relative position now we couldn't see anything joining them together uh and they were still for maybe a few seconds they were perfectly spherical um a sort of pearly white brilliant pearly white light and you could actually see the one that was nearest to the cloud you could actually see the light from it reflecting on the cloud and then after a few seconds, they moved directly away from us, moving due east, where we had a big coal-fired power station called Fort Marsh Power Station, and they moved off in that direction. Again, there was no acceleration. There was stationary or moving very quickly. And what happened as they um, moved away from us, it was like there was a, a corona, like a a field around it. And as they moved away, there was the very smallest little teardrop shape formed behind them at the back. Uh, and they just moved away. There was no apparent rotation, no noise whatsoever from start to finish, no other flashing lights or strobes or appendages. They were just perfectly circular, except when they were moving, just this very small teardrop shape. Now, that was it. They literally moved away from us until they were out of sight. But one of the things that I heard, and my father, when I questioned him later, and my brother, uh, none of them heard it. But as they came out of the cloud and then stopped, I got a very clear voice in my head that said, whoops, we weren't meant to have been seen. Uh, and it was like somebody spoke it inside my head. Uh, and I don't know why, uh, uh, but I also got that the the voice was friendly. Now, don't ask me why, uh, but I got it that the voice was friendly. It wasn't uh, malevolent. It wasn't anything bad. Now, that was just the impression that I got. 
And then anyway, they moved away out of sight. We probably had them in sight for maybe only a minute and a half, probably from start to finish, till they disappeared and faded into the distance. And we were all sat there, the three of us, open-mouthed, agape, looking at the sky. And my father was the first to speak. And he said, now, my father had also done his national service with our Royal Air Force. So after the war, he did three years with the Royal Air Force. Um, but he was the first to speak, and he just said, there's nothing that we have that can do that. Uh, no, there's nothing we have today that can do that. And that was in 68. Wow. Yeah. So it was like from that moment on, I wanted to know the physics of nuts and bolts. How could something like that work? How does something move like that? And we don't know about it. Why isn't it on the news? Why, is it in the, why isn't it in the newspapers? So that's what got me into it. And it was like from that moment on, I wanted to know. Uh, and I did used to read a lot anyway as a child. So in those days, there was no internet. Uh, and because we lived in a small village, we did have a library, but they certainly didn't stock any books on UFOs. So I had to catch my local transport, my local bus, uh, go out and go to the big cities to try and find, even to try and find a bookseller that stocked books on UFOs. You know, it wasn't that easy then. Yeah. I, I can imagine not. And doing research uh, back then like that took a lot of effort. Today, we could just Google something. You know, you want to know about the Rendlesham Forest case. Okay, cool. Let's let's pull it up. And then you'll get varying opinions on it as well. Uh, so whenever you got into this and you started looking into it, what was the one idea that you had that really, that really kind of turned you in that direction besides your sighting itself? What was the one idea that you had that you felt the most comfortable with or that was the most entertaining thought to kind of thought experiment to go down i think i think from the outset because I, I was an avid reader you you were reading books by like jacques Vallée, but jenny randall's donald kehoe you know and it was that sort of ilk there was also uh dare i say the elizabeth claras and the george adamskis at that time they were quite popular but what also happened then well, very shortly after that was the Warminster thing. Remember the Warminster thing and the Warminster mystery? Yep. And it was a site, a lot of paranormal activity as well as UFO sightings in Wiltshire in southern England. Now, I was fortunate that I had an uncle who was in a UFO group. I didn't know until afterwards. But uh, he gave me a, a book, hardback book, which I still have, called The Flying Saucer Review. And it was from... 1959 or something like that and it was like their reports for the year in a hardback book and i read this and it was like whoa you know people publish this sort of thing yeah uh and it was from then on i always thought that we had different dare i say races beings et visitors different visitors from different places yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you can come to that uh, kind of understanding because you see these different craft, and even Bob Lazar will talk about the different craft that he saw at uh, S4 or Area 51, uh, yeah. that one of them he called like the sport model or like the Cadillac, you know, and so there's different, it looks like different manufacturers of these crafts. So yeah, it would lead you to believe that, or to the idea that maybe there are different entities, but they're all fantastic. It's like they all kind of figured out how to build one of these, and then they just shaped it and, and designed it differently. 
So uh, what, yeah. what's your conclusion on the entities or what's your idea on the entities? I don't think any of us have any conclusions on any of this stuff, right? Is that where your research led you to? Right. Well, <laughs> it's initially, very early on, I was more involved, although I read about UFOs. And I was, again, very fortunate where my uncle took me on a road trip and we, he asked my parents if I could go. He was going down to meet this other group. And we were going down to Warminster to go sky watching and meet the guy himself, Arthur Shuttlewood, uh, meet him and go sky watching. And he sort of turned up at my parents. I'm on my own in the car. Does Paul, would you mind if Paul came with me? So I'm like, yeah, man, come on, let me go, you know. And so anyway, fortunately, they said yes. And we had a weekend down there. And we went to Stonehenge. Uh, I spoke to Arthur Shuttlewood, met him on two occasions, well, three occasions in the end, because we went to his house for like an afternoon tea to plan what was going to happen for the day. And the two local uh, sky-watching spots, if you like, in that area in Wiltshire at the time, one was called Cradle Hill and one was called Clay Hill. So we did one night on one and one night on the other. So... Fantastic weekend. But what kicked it off also was where our home was. We had just moved there, uh, and it was about 100 yards from a spiritualist church. And my parents went to the spiritualist church. Now, as, as a young kid, you just go along with what your parents do. So we'd had quite a religious upbringing, normal, quite high church of England, uh, and then we started going to the spiritualist church. So obviously, as you were aware, whether you're male or female, once you get into your teenage years, religion seems to take a bit of a backseat and go into sports events, young ladies and buying your own car and everything else or motorcycle always take priority. So I didn't go to the church then, but I was walking past on one occasion. And as I walked past, there's this old guy in a three-piece suit outside the church, smoking a cigarette. As I'm walking by, he said, uh, Paul, have you got a minute? Now, I didn't know this guy, uh, but I thought, maybe he knows mum and dad, I don't know. So he called me over and I went over. And as I walked up to him, he said, just a minute. And he got this scrappy piece of paper out of his pocket and a little pen, which probably was from the local bookmakers or something. And he wrote, <laughs> he wrote something on this piece of paper. And then he held it up and it got three letters on and it said UFO. And he said, I've been told by spirit to show you this and to tell you that you're thinking along the right lines. And it was like, what? Because the, what made it more, what can I say, fantastic at the time was that my parents didn't know apart from the odd thing, but they didn't know that I was that much into UFOs and that I used to just read and read and read. Uh, because it's like as a teenager, <laughs> as you're aware, they're not part of your life, really. So they, so for, for some stranger to just say to you, you're thinking, you know, it was like, it sort of blew me away and it was like, my word, this guy's... So that was that led on to other things. Was that like a man, a man in black, or was he an actual person that belonged to the church? No, no, no. It, it was a person that belonged to the church. Okay, okay. 
but he just got, I guess, and he said the spirit said that this would be something yeah. that you're interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's ancillary phenomena. I would say that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, whoa, you know, so anyway, they, so I had a few paranormal experiences when I was younger. Um, but other than that, I've had nothing as I've got, as I've aged. Uh, and it sort of shifted onto the UFO side of things. Um, now, I don't mind that, uh, but I believe that they're all connected. So would you like me to go into a little analogy that may explain it? Absolutely, I would. I'm very interested to watch you connect <laughs> the dots on this thing because I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Go ahead. Okay. If you imagine, uh, you you know the old vinyl LPs, the old vinyl records? Yes, sir. So imagine we are on this plane. I mean, at the moment, we've got astrophysicists and the cosmologists and all these people with better brains than I have, that are banding about figures between 75 and 95% of the uh, energy in the universe is dark energy and dark matter. And for the ordinary energy that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that we're aware of, or even not aware of in, the, in some cases, it's only about 5% of what is available in the universe. Now, of that 5%, we only see uh, visible light and hear the acoustic spectrum, which actually accounts for less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of the 5%. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we are only aware of the radio waves at the higher frequencies, and then you come down through the infrared, and then from the infrared you get onto the visible spectrum and acoustic spectrum we know of, and then you're straight into the ultraviolet, then X-rays, and then gamma rays as you go lower. But that's only on our vinyl record. And I believe that the dark energy and dark matter is that there isn't just one vinyl record, there's a whole stack of them. And this is how spiritual mediums are able to tune in, if you like, to spirit on the record above or record below. But if you think about it from the extraterrestrial hypothesis, if you like, I don't believe that it's extraterrestrial insofar as they've come from a galaxy 20 million miles away or whatever, you know, ridiculous. But... Look how far we've come. Just take a step back and think how far we've come. A hundred years ago in Texas, everybody had a horse. You might have 0.001% of people that had a car. You either went on the railroad or you owned a horse. End of story. There was nothing else. So look where we are now, where everybody owns two or three cars, a few motorcycles, whatever, you know, and people that have made good on the money have got their own little airplanes and helicopters, and this is, and the advances with it, like the internet, uh, dare I say, fiber optics, and all the modern paraphernalia that we use in our materialistic lives, dare I say. So you imagine a race that could be, quite obviously, could be 10,000 years in front of us, but even if they're only 1,000 years in front of us, how far we've come in the last hundred years, multiply that by 10. And there's no wonder that we have no idea 
how they're moving about in their craft. Uh, and I honestly believe that they are able, they are absolute masters of the electromagnetic spectrum. And that includes our 5% as well as the dark energy in the dark matter. So because they're able to control that, you sat there now have an, an energy field, you have a magnetic field. It reacts with the computer in front of you, the chair that you sat on, the building, the fabric of the room or building around us, all have magnetic fields that to a certain extent, we are able to measure, but only in the very rudimentary way at the moment. So you imagine a race of people that may be 10,000 years in front of us that can completely control the electromagnetic spectrum. And then you can see immediately why there's no problem whatsoever of uh, them being able to tune into us. Does that make sense? It, it does, actually. And and there's a lot to unpack there. So um, I want to uh, bring up a couple of things as I'm thinking about it, as you're sure. talking about it. So uh, it, it's interesting because it is then to the point to where they're not necessarily beings that exist in... Uh, let, me, let me go to the records real quick to build a foundation for this. So in your sure. example, the records are either realities or electromagnetic spectrums in which exist in the same reality. Yeah, they, it's the both, because whichever record you're on, that is your reality. Makes sense. Okay, so almost like dimensions, right? Yeah, okay. exactly that. Perfect. So interdimensional beings is what we're kind of talking about here. Now, do you think that they're evolutionarily able to exist in those because they're born in that and they're able to vibrate at that frequency, if you will, of the record? Or do you think it's a technology thing that allows them to shift into that? Or is it a little bit of both? It's both. I think your first statement was correct where they were born into that and they are of that and that's how they work. But because they are so much further advanced than we are, they are able to come into, if you like, for want of a better phrase, come down into our vibration and lower themselves to interact with us. It's, it's almost like a real rudimentary example of that would be to where how we can't necessarily or we're not from or don't exist in underwater realms, right? But we've been able to create scuba gear. We've been able to create submarines that will allow us to traverse in an area where we don't belong, right? Or where we're not from. And it's it's almost like that's what's happening, but on much, much, much higher planes of existence and, and reality. Yeah. So you imagine uh, somebody that can control the electromagnetic spectrum. So immediately they are able, they, because all thought is energy, everything you think that you'll give off with the intention behind it, may I add, is a magnetic field, is an energy. Now, we're only just sort of scratching the surface of that. But if they are able to control that and understand it to the extent that I believe they can, they know what we're thinking. They can change. That is why ET can prioritize people, can zoom straight in at people because they know that specific frequency. They know they can steer people in the right direction. That's why you get thoughts of, and they can erase memories or make them more comfortable memories. That's why people see vehicles at the side of the road or see an owl in a tree, and that's all they recollect. And if you've ever read any of, well, Kath Marden more recently, but also Bud Hopkins and Dolores Cannon too. I was very, 
I was very fortunate that I met Bud Hopkins uh, when he came over to England for a conference and I was able to have lunch with him. Uh, and he said, Paul, he said, I said, I was an artist. He said, I only actually got into this as a, he wanted to be a counsellor to help people. And that's how we got into the uh, the progressive hypnotherapy. And he said, I just started into it. And he said, the more I got into it, the deeper I got. It sort of led me down this path. But that's another thing. Everything happens for a reason. There's no such thing as coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. Completely agree. And, and what you're talking about kind of dips into the idea of manifestation and that our thoughts create our reality. And that... Yep. They are all just vibrations that you resonate in a participatory kind of an environment, and that's the way that the universe responds. But then also to tie in, I, I think you've done it with this, man. Honestly, the more the more I think about it, and then you can associate it with paranormal, of course it would tie in all these things. Because it would appear as something incredibly mysterious to us if we don't understand the mechanisms in which, or even the beings in which that they operate yeah. in. Because yes, like you pointed out in the beginning, there is so many things out of our five sense reality that we can perceive. And we've created a small fraction of amount of technology to be able to perceive it, like the infrared, like the ultraviolet, uh, x-rays, gamma rays, but and uh, ultras uh, hearing as well, because we, we even know animals can perceive in different hearing ranges, right? We get a small little, what is it, 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz, and as we get older, I mean, even that's that, right, that yes. shrinks in. Uh, yeah. This is a fascinating perspective, and and you do need to tie it all in. I I gotta say, I, I mean, we just met today, but this is you're already one of my favorite people to to take on this <laughs> subject uh, because you. because you're you're wrapping in so many other things that have to have to do with it, right? They can't be ignored. Well, to to expand it further, if you look at a lot of the UFO sightings and what happened. Uh, as part of the sightings, a lot of things can be explained. Like, we'll just start with, if they're tuning down into our frequency, they, we can't see them. But you, we often get reports of uh, people being able to see UFOs, but there's nothing on radar. Or the military have got things on radar, but when they look out of the control tower over the field, there's nothing there, you know? So you get a lot of that. But then you also get instances where uh, there was the Gaffney incident in the US and not the one with the police officer, but a young couple that saw a see-through UFO approaching over some trees and they could they said they could quite clearly see the outline of it. And as it came towards the trees, it sort of materialised fully, but the trees burst into flame around them. Uh, the UFO, the guys obviously panicked rang the authorities, the UFO was zoomed off and was long gone. The fire service turned up and the fire guys put the fire out. Police turned up and took the statement. Uh, but it just helps to explain how it materialised coming down through the frequencies, through the infrared, which essentially, from our perspective, generates heat as well. So that would explain why the, the trees and the shrubbery caught fire. But also there was, there was one in Scotland. Do you remember the uh, Deckmont Woods incident in Scotland with the forestry worker, Robert Taylor? I don't, huh? And he, well, he had a, a sighting where he was going to check on something and he was on his own with his dog. Uh, and he saw this outline of something. He says it was a strange sensation, which is another thing I'll go into later. 
but there was a strange sensation. And then they could see this outline of a craft. I can't remember. It's something like 26, 30 feet long, something like thereabouts. And he says, and then it fully materialized. As it fully materialized, these two balls with spikes dropped out the bottom and rolled towards him. And the snare, they snared his trousers on the spike. And he said, he collapsed unconscious. And then the next thing he did, he woke up and he was on his own. Uh, and the police actually, the, the Scottish police investigated it because there was actual harm to him and his trousers, his clothing. Uh, on one of our uh, ufologists, a guy called Malcolm Robinson, you may have heard of. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he investigated it, uh, and he's now done a book called The Deck Montwood's Incident. But that's just a way of illustrating how they appear to us, and then they can disappear. It, it's interesting because, yes, you do hear of them blinking in and out of existence, and you do hear of them uh, materializing, but the slow denigration, basically them vibrating to a lower frequency to then appear and yeah. interact with our world is fascinating, man. Because also, I mean, and it, and like I said, my mind is just now going back through all the cases, sitting here putting pieces together based on your idea, and because I love this idea, man. This is this is right up there with future humans and time machines for me. It's It's right up there. Uh, so it just, like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. It, it also is something to where you'll see visible craft that go in and out of the water or that can traverse oh, yeah. through mountainsides. And it's almost like even in the physical reality, they can manipulate our physical reality. So it's almost like they have yeah. instantaneous control over the vibrational frequency or if they're in this reality or traverse back to their own. Yeah. Right. Just to go on to that, I'll expand on that then. Please. If you imagine you're completely in control of the electromagnetic spectrum, you are completely in control of your, uh, what can I say, your reactions and functionality within the electromagnetic spectrum as well. So if you've got a craft that you are in complete control of, now one thing that Dolores Cannon, Bud Hopkins and Kath Martin have said when they've regressed these people, that abductees, um, in a lot of cases, and if you have a look through it, they do say that the craft were controlled by thought, which is an energy. But also, if you imagine you have a craft that's con that is energy, that's completely controlled, and you are able to tune it to whatever you want, we'll just take the recent Nimitz counter that everybody's been on about, how they went from under the sea to 50,000 feet in a few seconds and from being stationary to moving at however many thousand miles an hour. It's this is another thing that get me. when you get, They make me laugh when you get these people on television that they get on these programs and they say, well, they couldn't have done that. You know, there was no exhaust plume. There was no flight services. There was no heat signature. What a load of rubbish. That's our technology in theirs. It's like the, we haven't got anything that does 10,000 miles an hour or can go in the sea. Rubbish. It's absolutely, totally irrelevant. There's no such thing as whether they're in space or whether they're going through our atmosphere or whether they're going through our oceans or lakes. Don't matter. And it's saying like when I saw my first UFOs and they stopped dead, uh, there's no G-force because they're in their own frequency. They're all in their own bubble of reality, their own bubble of universe, if you like. So speed and maneuverability and G-forces don't even come into it. As far as they're concerned, they're not moving. 
It's only what we perceive. So there's no such thing as speed. Right. And this is why this idea is so interesting to me, because, yes, we do kind of personify or anthropomorphize our own technology or our own physical yeah, bodies that do play in with gravity, with G-forces, with everything. And, yeah, they say, oh, well, and, and you'll hear a lot of witnesses say, well, if they made that turn, we'd be, you know, splattered against the wall. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's why <laughs> you know it's not ours. That's why you know it's not us. Or maybe they have figured out how to do it. Maybe maybe the U.S. military, we don't have to go down this road, with like a secret space program or something, have figured out how to vibrate physical matter like us into those other frequencies based on some sort of technology. Uh you know, whenever whenever you talk about also about the craft, and yes, they do operate with thought because you you have heard a lot of not only abductees but a lot of experiencers say things like that, and they'll say that even when they look inside of a craft, they're seamless. There's nothing in it. There's no real buttons or no gadgets or no steering wheels or joysticks or anything to control it, which is again our idea of how it should operate because that's how we build. Yeah. Things. But there's handprints, you know, an odd handprint or something where they interface with the craft. And then you'll hear, um, like in the Rundlesham Forest case, where they put their hand on the side of it and they got like a download. Like there's some sort of yeah. connection with the the physicality of the craft and your neurology of the mind. And so, yes, it does make more sense this way. What do you what do you think about the that idea? And again, your idea is just I'm spinning here thinking about all the other ways that this could apply, which is fantastic, man. You've given me this new way to look at it. But uh, what do you think about those people who talk about that the craft is almost like alive? Like you heard Clifford Stone. Do you remember yeah. him? Okay. And he just recently yeah. passed. RIP Clifford. Rest in peace, buddy. But he would even talk about when he was out at um, Area 51 with his rocket whenever he took it out there, uh, and he could touch the craft and it felt warm to the touch and it reacted to him, almost like it was alive. Of course it will. Now, if you think about it, it it's got to do because... It's, it's one energy reacting against another energy. It doesn't mean that he would be able to control it, but it, the craft, because it's part of whoever is in it thinking, they, you get that connection. That's, it's the same thing when, when you walk up to somebody, right? You may meet somebody, get introduced to a stranger in a bar, whatever, you go for a drink, and you know immediately if you're going to get along with that person. It's exactly the same thing because it's their frequency and whether it resonates with your frequency. So you will get people that you know immediately you're going to get along with, but you will also get people that you know you're not going to get along with because you get that barrier between the frequencies. So that is why I believe you get a lot of people of a like mind within different communities, including ufology. Uh, and that's how energy works. So you know when you come up to somebody else, you can feel their energy. Even if you're not aware of it, it's a subconscious thing. Even if you're not aware of it, your, pick, your energy is picking up their energy. And they're doing the same. And that's how you know if you get on with somebody or not. And it's exactly the same in that instance with coming up to a UFO and having the same because you're picking up the energy in the electrical field of the whole thing. Uh, where they're just picking up on your vibration, your electric field. I love this. And, and again, the more you talk about it, the more it makes sense because you wouldn't want to build a craft where you had something that you manually needed to operate, right? Because if you're moving at these speeds and you're doing that for maximum 
productivity and maneuverability you would want it to be at the speed of thought. And even uh, with our U.S. government, I know that there's, um, I want to say it's the Apache or the F-35, they've got a headset display built to where the guns will actually go where the pilot's looking. And He's so, looking, yeah. yeah, there's like an inter, there's an, a more instantaneous interface. But the problem with that is the pilot has to look to then send a signal to make it turn. Now, at speed of thought, or once you start harnessing these energies and take away the manual necessity, the necessity for a manual operator to operate it physically, then what what you've got now is this milliseconds that it takes for anybody's eye to see it for you to react, for then that signal to run down your arm to a joystick or something to react. You've take, you've, you've literally gotten rid of the middleman here, and you've just gone straight to yeah, the Yeah, you remove all that. Yeah. Wow. Damn, man. <laughs> this is great. Good. Yeah. yeah. But it's when you think about it, it's common sense. Mm-hmm. It's um, I'm going on from that as well, that it explains why abductees are one of the things that the uh, chapters in the book is abductees and explanations and now i've gone in from that where abductees say they just appeared at the side of my bed or they floated me out through the window or floated me out through the closed door even or the wall because they're in there they're in a different place and one other thing that i get that's again touches on the paranormal because it's the same mechanism and that is, if you'd speak to abductees, very often they will say, if, as part of your investigation, they'll say, there was silence. And, he said, and they'll say, by silence, I mean silence. There was no wind. There was no background hum of life. There was no birds in the trees. There was just nothing. Yeah, the Oz and that is because, Yeah, and that is because you're in a different frequency. So you're not where you are. And... It's because of that, you're not picking up our normal acoustic vibration. You're out of it. And that to take that a step further as well, one of the things that I said, it may, may not be. I mean, I'll, I'm a Yorkshireman, so I always think I'm right, but, you know. But uh, I'm a but Texan. We, can, we of, have similar, similar <laughs> thought patterns, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of the other things is that, and it, with the paranormal, if you think about it, if your body as a quite subconscious thing with the fight or flight syndrome and the other inbuilt mechanisms that we have that we don't know, uh, if you imagine that your body is taken out of your frequency into one of these others, this may explain why people are as fearful as they are because your subconscious knows it shouldn't be where it is. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, this, we should be here, you know. Yeah, I'm not playing uh, so in is that why? Yard. Yeah. Yeah. So is that why the you get the fear from all the UFO abductee side of things, but you also get it with spirit and people that see ghosts and things like that because it's not, the, it's not a correct frequency. They're not on their LP. It's on the vinyl record underneath or above or whatever. So the body knows at a subconscious level, I shouldn't be here. And that also explains, going back to Jacques Vallée that we mentioned earlier, uh, Passport to Magonia, where he talks about fairies and uh, goblins and leprechauns, and and even more modern things with uh, Paul Sinclair and the Truth Proof series that he's done. Uh, And there are things there where people, you get these 
I believe there are these areas of high strangeness all over the world in all countries. And in these high strangeness areas, you get this in the right circumstances, obviously, you get this overlap between the records and people are able to pick it up much quicker. And I think Skinwalker Ranch is one of these areas. Yeah, The Meadow. Uh, Trey Hudson wrote that book, The Meadow Project. Under Flying Distress, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I love this so, idea. Uh, again, I've just got so many. You're, it's all spinning now because it's it. Of of course, it's all connected that way, and of course, that's the way that it's connected. I had, I know you can't plant your flag, and I I know you can't say, okay, this is what it is. But I got to be honest, man. The more I think about your idea, uh, the the more it makes sense because on a quantum level, we know everything's connected. You can see the spooky actions yeah. at a distance, even with light particles and how they interact, no matter what the distance is, instantaneously. So there does have to be some sort of mechanism that we're just missing here. And maybe it is, man. Maybe maybe there's a reason that we live in this 3D reality because this is what it is, uh, and we're you know our our energy is slowed down to this vibration to have this experience. But of course, there would be an entity or a technology that would be able to figure out how to traverse that. I mean, if if reality is infinite, right, and we they've there therefore has been an infinite amount of time to figure something out, and if just like we if like like we how we appear to fish right under the water. I mean, this is just, yeah. I'm, I'm dumbing this down for, for those that yeah. are okay. And so for, to fish, they don't understand what the hell we are. They're like, dude, something came out. It took Barry. He's gone now. Uh, and then he came back <laughs> with a story to tell and nobody believes him, of course, because it's so fantastical. Yeah. Right. But it's almost like that. It's almost like we are under the water, under the ocean. And these things are higher level entities, of course, from our perception. And then and then it'll trip you out. The mind just goes crazy to think, well, what's above them? What are they the ocean to? Yeah. And it can go on well, an infinitum. I mean, man, I love this. Damn, Paul, this is fascinating. Good. Well, yeah. well, it can go on from that. Right. To carry on using the analogy of the LP, the record, the vinyl record, or the stack of records, if you imagine every groove on that record is your life, you are, is a separate life, right? So the edge of the record will call evil because there's no such thing as the devil. And the hole in the center where you place the record on the needle, that's, the, uh, that's purity. Some people would call it God. Yeah, so... We are somewhere in one of our grooves that we have chosen to progress our soul, to progress our spirit, right? Now, you, don't, you can't know about it. Nobody knows about it because if you knew about it, it would be pointless. You have to do it by your own effort now and by your thought processes now and by the way you conduct yourself, your morals, your ethics, how you help other people or not, as the case may be. And that is how you progress. It's got to be a raising of your vibration that you do. And you can shift needles between grooves. You know, you can go back and forth in the same lifetime. Oh, of course you can. Now, the thing is as well, somewhere we are on, somewhere on that LP, endeavoring to reach the center. Right. To go on to, I'll just touch on to religion because I'm not religious in the slightest. And I think religion's on its way out because it makes no difference whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Mormon, whatever you are, the record's exactly the same for everybody. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, because you will get good people and bad people in all religions, and even good people and bad people that aren't religious at all, for that matter. So 
it's by your own effort and not that you've given money to the Catholic Church or whatever. It's not nothing to do with that. It is by your own thought processes and your own energy and lifting and helping yourself. And that is how you progress. And religion has got religion is man-made. God never wrote anything down, whichever God you believe it is. Man was the person that wrote it down, not God. So this is one of the arguments I've had with religion for a while is interpretation. I've got, I've got that one word answer to why I, I'm not convinced that it's real. Number one, no God has ever come to me and said, here, here's how you live your life. This is the way you do it. Oh, by the way, if you don't, there's some horrible place that I'm going to send you to. Right. I've never been convinced by that argument. And my reasoning for it, my human dumb monkey brain reasoning for it is is interpretation. If, if it can be interpreted in multiple different ways and it can't be the way it would be. Something as uh, subconscious as your heart beating or your eyes blinking or your hair growing, it would just be the way. There would be no argument about it. You wouldn't have to stone somebody because they said, no, your heart can stop and you can continue to live. And so I like that because the idea does tie in all of it, man. Yeah. Damn. Well, to take it further, if you think about it, it's we are all somewhere on our chosen record in our chosen group, endeavoring to meet, meet get the hole in the center. But so are spirit on the spirit levels and those below us, but so are ET. They also are on the same thing. It's like a universal. So the ET are on the same, might be a record 10 above ours, if you like, in the stack, but they're still on the same journey. They still have to do the same thing. So you have this unwritten rule of the universe, if you like, that everybody, every living thing has to progress by its own efforts. And that includes ET as too. I mean, of course. And then, and then now you think about not only the lifetimes that you level up here, and I'm not a big believer in karma. I think karma's crap. I honestly, the, the way that I, and I wanted to ask you about this since you're so tapped into this. What do you, what do you think the point of it all is? Do you think that there's a good or bad or right or wrong, or is it all just a ride? Sure. No, it's, it's all about being the perfect soul. If you like, so you have to become the perfect soul by your effort, by doing it yourself. So it obviously takes a long time. <laughs> like, like the Buddha's um, idea of nirvana. So you're trying to reach nirvana. So there is a right or a wrong way to do this, but there's no clear roadmap to it. Or th maybe the roadmap is the way you feel about it, right? Maybe that's your compass. Okay. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah, that's a good way. But also it's like, it's like death, well, how we get hung up uh, in the Western world with death and things. No such thing as death. Yes, the body dies because the body came from this record, so it has to stay with this record or stay in that groove. But all you are doing, it's just like getting rid of an old car and buying a new model. Yep, yep. But, you, but your thought processes are still the same. So it's no good saying, yeah, it's, you're still the same person. So you still have to carry whatever you had with you goes forward with you. So that's how I, I it, it's amazing. It's it's incredible. Like I said, just philosophically now my mind is just uh flipping somersaults here because you 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 tied it all together. I mean, you you tied all of it together. Spirituality, UFOs, light frequencies, the explanation for what they can be and and explain the unexplainable parts of this. I mean, it's it's fascinating.
Damn. So that's what I've tried to do because I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I mean, I've been in the in the medical field all my life. I've, I've been in the army as a medic. I was a nurse, qualified occupational health nurse, then a qualified paramedic, and spent my last seven years as uh, like a clinical manager, as as a trauma coordinator, uh, and we gave advice. And so it's just been something a passion of mine, if you like, all my life that I've. I've tried to get round my head around the whole picture of it. And I think it's only more recently as you mature uh, that I've sort of got a handle on it and been able to put it into words that a normal person, <laughs> for want of a better term, can understand. Well, but what I like about it is that you're not a scientist. If I can be completely honest oh. with you, I, I honestly prefer that you've got this um... – uninhibited kind of a way to look at it. Like you don't have a filter in which you have to view this and you don't have to come up with the, and base your theory off theories that are just theories of other theories. No, no. I, I, But this is why I find it very valuable, man. I, I honestly will value your opinion on this more than Neil deGrasse Tyson's, to be completely honest with you, sir. Yeah. I, I, I like it because again, I'm very spiritually minded. I'm very uh, into the mysterious and the UFO and the paranormal, but you've, you've really, I think... You've got a great understanding of how to tie it all together. That and once you view it like that, like I said, I'm I'm a little fumbly on my words right now because I keep mentally going back to all of these other things that now explain the phenomena, the paranormal. Even um, you know, Ronnie uh, Kinsella when he was on, him and his brother experiencers. Yeah, one of lovely the guys. Lovely guys. I love those guys. And one of the one of the things that we had talked about on that was Ronnie specifically's experience with his abduction. He doesn't like to use the word abduction, but it's what it was. And, and of course, yes, and like you said, you, you come up with all sorts of people who say they just walked right through the wall or they just floated out, and then they floated me out through the wall or through the ceiling. Now, maybe, and we had talked about, and I asked him, I said, so did your physical body leave or was it your astral body that left, your energy field, your etheric field? And, you know, they, they have like an, you have an architecture spiritually to what operates this meat suit that you're in. Yeah, yeah. And so that could be one explanation for it. It's just that we all exist in these levels. It's just we're vibrated down and stuck almost into this vehicle, this car that we can't get out of, you know? Damn. So there you go. Now you've got something to think about tonight. <laughs> Way too much to think about. But what I like about this and the way this makes me feel, man, is it's it's like when you get to a part of exploring the phenomena or your research. And yes, you can micro-focus on one thing and then you go, okay, these are all the facts of the case. But tying it all together is something that Jacques Vallée uh, talks about, of course. Um, I know Terrence McKenna as well, being a psychonaut, if you're familiar with him. He did a lot of um, speaks on uh, psychedelics and things like that. Uh, but what I like about it is, is it makes me feel like there's something new to entertain on the thought. I've, you kind of get to a point with your research to where you can plateau a little bit, where there's no new ideas, right? Or there's no new, uh, nobody new coming out that's that's saying something as radical, but also as comforting and as exciting as what you're talking about. I think it's great. I think it's great. So you've, yeah, you've shot me off into a, a new way to look at it. And now, of course, you got to pour over all the old material and it's it's a better way to connect the dots, man. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, going on, I mean, I've seen... I've had lots of UFO sightings. I've seen disc-shaped, hockey puck-shaped UFO. Uh, one like a, a, well, we would call it a rugby ball. You'd call it a football. But this was vertical that I managed to get a picture of. 
I've seen other all void ones at night that I managed to get video of. Um, this all I have a a page on Facebook called It's the Real Story page, and I tend to put things on there. Uh, obviously not as often, but the if you just put It's the Real Story on Facebook, but on there I've got if you scroll down all the posts, there's I've put the video on that I took, but also photographs that I've taken uh, and other sightings with because if, if I'll go sky watching but this week on Tuesday this week my wife and I were in the garden and I've made her a, a shelter around a swing a garden swing and I made a shelter around it uh, that, that just to keep it waterproof really and we were sat on this swing lovely afternoon beautiful clear blue skies sea for miles the only thing that you could see in the sky was the moon, which was about half, maybe not quite. Um, but I saw a brilliant white, bluey white pinpoint of light, like a star. Uh, and it was incredibly bright. The magnitude must have been off the scale nearly. To see it in like 3.45 in the afternoon, maybe 50 degrees above the horizon. And it was east-southeast from our position. Uh, and you could see this incredibly bright pinpoint white light, but then it faded away and was gone. Ten seconds later, it came back in exactly the same place. Now, the shelter that we're in, that I've built around the swing, has a roof on it, so I could get to the edge, so I could line it up and see that it was stationary. And that way, I was able to get my wife, and she saw it too. And maybe for five or six minutes, it just kept, getting very, very bright, extremely bright, and then fading away to nothing so you couldn't see anything at all. And I even had time to go and get my camera, but my camera wouldn't focus on it because it was such a tiny pinpoint of light. So I couldn't take a picture of it. It was just focusing on blue sky and it would focus on the object, you know. So it's like, what the heck was that? Yeah, but in the time that it took to blink out and then reappear, had the moon, I mean, the moon moves. So had it moved a little bit so you could get kind of a relative position on yeah. this thing? No. Wow. No, it stayed from where we were. It stayed in exactly the same position. Huh. What about the idea that maybe, maybe, um, so do you think that whenever they kind of, are surprised that we come across them uh is it kind of like being surprised like us surprising a bear in the woods or something to where we're like oh no this bear saw me and then we're in its habitat and then we can get in a car and drive off something it can't really understand is it kind of equivalent to that to where they're shocked that we can see them sometimes i think that will happen as a byproduct of their mechanism that they work because if you think if you're moving up and down through frequencies there are occasions when where you will travel through our visible spectrum yes and that's that's what i was going to ask about the blinking in and out do you think it was just passing through yeah on its way to somewhere just else? focusing it's it just uh, as a, a thing on that the one that i saw that was like a, a vertical uh football for you a rugby ball for us it was vertically that way up and the top half of it was sort of shrouded in cloud. The bottom half were, appeared quite clear, but the top of the top, maybe third of it, was was very cloudy around it. And I thought, is that some sort of field that they're giving off around that just reacts, sort of condenses the, the whatever it is, yeah, the, the air around it. 
Mm. And and that might also depend on where it just came from, right? Because if it's super hot yeah. coming into a super cold environment from its perspective, the yeah. temperature differentials would exist. Yeah. Man. And that, that was another way that it explains how when I've, I have seen quite a few UFOs over the years, uh, but on my first sighting, how, how they had the very small teardrop shape because it was the energy as it's moving yeah, and that's just dissipating, if you like. But I, I had a, a sighting that quite by chance, I was in conversation with Philip, Philip Mantle. Uh, we were both in Beaufort, and I was an investigator uh, at the time, and Philip was director of investigations. Uh, but we're just talking in the middle of a conversation. I've been over to his house, and he's talking, and, he's, and I'm telling him about a sighting that my first wife and I had. And he said, I can tell you when that was, Paul. And I'm like, really? He said, it was July 1984. And he was like, how did you know that? And he said, because I saw it too. Yep, he talked about this on my show, yeah. Yeah, he did? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I interviewed him uh, well, earlier on. That's how we met. Yeah, well, they, Philip, uh, I, I'll just tell you my sighting first. We... I was, we lived in a, a little town called Selby, uh, over towards the East Coast a little way. Um, my wife was out in the garden and we had a very big dog then, the Pyrenean mountain dog, huge thing. Uh, and I, I knew that he needed brushing. And I thought my wife had started it and she shouted me, oh, oh. So I'll go out into the garden and she's going, look, pointing up at the sky. And it looked like car headlights, just two circular headlights, how you would see a car through fog. Uh, and it was like, whoa, and they were just moving slowly towards us. They moved overhead, and then as they got overhead, probably had them in sight for, I don't know, 30 seconds. The two, we had two little boys, then the two boys came out, so there's the four of us watching these car headlights, which by then were directly above us. As they just got past directly above us, they suddenly went up, poof, immediately. No acceleration, just like warp factor 10. It was like something off Star Trek or Han Solo hit warp speed, you know, woof, they'd gone. Uh, and they disappeared that quick. And it was like, wow, you know, uh, obviously straight out of sight in a matter of seconds. So I said, all right, I'll take the dog for a walk. So I gave the, the dog a good walk. I used to like his exercise. I used to like my walks too. Maybe out for 30, 40 minutes. Come back. My eyes more on the car, on the sky rather than what the dog was doing. Came back. And literally, I came back, locked the gate, got the brush, and I was just going to start brushing the dog. <laughs> and as I looked up, they came back over in on the same flight, on the same flight path, but reverse of where they first came. So this time they were moving slowly, the same distance apart. You couldn't see them join anything joining them, but they were the same distance apart moving overhead and disappearing the way they'd come. And it was years later when I narrated the story to Philip and he said, Paul, I saw the same thing. <laughs> and it was, and he said, we had it reported many times from the East Coast in, in all the way over into central England where he lived uh, and then over North Yorkshire going back out again. Amazing. And you know what I think about whenever I think of it shooting way off or them just appearing and disappearing, um, what if, and this is just out there, man, but we're on this train of thought, why not? So what about the the concept that perhaps uh, their technology is so advanced that they don't traverse distances, they pull space 
around them. So let's say, for instance, that they're from their point of view, maybe they're stationary and they can just grab a point in space so many miles, meters, light years away and just yank it around them and just appear there instantly. That yeah. that almost takes the lateral uh, mode of transportation out of it. Like they don't have to go that way. They can if they want. And they can kind of hover around. But it's like they're pulling space and time around them. Yeah. I think it's instantaneous. It's like it's like now, if you wanted to, I don't know, go down to the beach at Galveston, and that thought comes into your head, you're there. Yes, yes. So, so there's no traversing space, time, anything. That's our restriction. That's what our scientists, that's our perception or our physics. They don't even consider that because it's not real to them. They, it, do, it don't matter. It don't compute. Why, they don't need it. Yeah, like, why are you walking there? You could just think and be there. You know, why are you in this car and burning all these fossil fuels everywhere or whatever and then traversing that distance? Yeah. Wow. Like, they, they just must think we're just total backwoods idiots that are just convinced <laughs> yeah. that the scenic route's the way to go. Like, I don't know why they're doing yeah. stuff that way. You could just think and be there. But it, it makes more sense. And then and then if you think about it, space-time, as we talk about, because they're interwoven, as Einstein said, then, of, of course, they could time travel in that way, too. I mean, this would be how... Our ancients had been reporting the sky gods coming down, and and maybe that's where the frequency is that they descend from. Maybe it's a physical place in the sky that they come down from, which makes them appear that they're coming out of the stars or the heavens or from another planet, perhaps. Man, I mean, do you? So, do you think that this explains all of them, or just one possibility for one of them? Like, do you rule out? Oh no, I think you say it's, it's the whole ball game. It's the whole thing. That there are lots of. I believe that there are lots of different. ETs, and they're all on their own different record and their own groove of that record. They have to learn exactly the same as we do. They're just doing it at a much higher and more advanced realm of physical plane and vibration than we are. So it's like, if you imagine uh, you were you, you in a local nature group, for, for example, and you want to look at what birds are on your local common and parkland and things like that, so you will put nets out and net them and just look at them, measure them, see how they're ticking, make sure they're healthy, that they're at the right weight and all that sort of thing. Is that in a bizarre way, is that the sort of kindness that they're doing to us? Yeah. Are they checking up on us? And I'm not saying they're all tied with the same brush. Some will have more ulterior motives than others. Uh, but I think that could be an explanation of part of it. Um, it's, it's, you know, you know, the cattle mutilations and that sort of thing, uh, even Travis Walton uh, and others. Now, you see, there's one. Travis, as, as far as he was concerned, not much time had passed. Uh, yet it was gone five days. There are other cases of people that have been abductors, abductees, that had been gone to what they thought was ours. And when they got back to reality, our reality and our record, they'd been gone for days. And that I believe is the same thing where you get folklore of uh, like Gulliver's Travels, how people travel in time and they go away and they think they've only been away a day and they come back home and they find it's 20 years have gone past. Yep. Uh, and that's one of the things that Bali sort of, made me think about when he was on the passport to Magonia thing with leprechauns and things. And he said, it, it was a sort of 
foregone conclusion where it was always a bad thing. And I think that's another thing where the human psyche always thinks something's going to be bad. So, but was it a bad thing because they left the family for that extended length of time, even though they didn't realize that? You know, and, and uh, to your Bud Hopkins as well, you know, Robbie Graham's re-releasing two of his books, right? Missing Time and Intruders. Oh, okay. Yeah, on oh, August, okay. August Night Press. So those should be out pretty soon. Uh, but Robbie Graham is fantastic, man. He's he's re-releasing these Bud Hopkins books, which I think is great. Uh, so it, it's interesting to your uh, mentorship with this early on. So it's almost like you were set up to know, because there's a lot of people that are like, nope, this is exactly what it is. And you didn't really start with that idea, yeah. which I think is great. Yeah. You started at the top. You know, you started where most of us, it takes 10, 20 years to get to, uh, to even start to entertain I wouldn't an go that far, idea. but thank you. <laughs> no, really, because you do have such an alternative perspective on it, but it, it's the one now that I think, again, I'm a little off here vocally because I'm, I've got all this stuff spinning in my head right now. I'm a little a little shaken by it, but in the best way possible. I have to convey that, that you've, you've given, me, given me more excitement with it now, uh, the phenomenon being able to kind of retrace uh, an idea about it, which is great, man. So I, I wanted to say back to your uh, birds, when, whenever we talk about things like that, you know, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of dumb it down to something that uh, it's mere mortals for a little bit of the audience here that they can kind of relate to. It's almost like with the mutilation phenomena, with the abduction phenomena, that we are just being studied by them the same way that we would tag and track a whale in the, in the wild or how we tranquilize a tiger to study it or to help it. Maybe they're helping us in some way, you know, but like you said, there's definitely going to be ulterior motives and there's some have nefarious actions and some more altruistic actions. But um, it, it's almost like in, in, yeah, we are kind of like the tiger in that way to where we track the thing. We do some sort of experiments on it, maybe implant, uh, implant stuff like Robert Lear was talking about, Dr. Robert Lear yeah. uh, with his implants. Um, and they can kind of keep track or keep, keep tabs on us, but then they get, they get sent back out into the wild, like the abductees that say that they have a lot of missing time. Well, maybe there's some sort of mental thing and they can interrupt the electronic signals to our brain to be able to make us yeah. feel either unconscious or something like that to where we do seem like we just blinked out. And again, the more, the more I think about it, the more all of this makes sense on that level, that they're just in an extra frequency outside of us through yeah. some either physicality of their own or a technology that they're capable of harnessing. And that's how they're able to be so damn mysterious. Yeah. Now, if you go about it from the abductee's point of view, on their memories, how many uh, <laughs> talking about Kat Marden and Bud Hopkins and the, how many could remember things normally like if you go more recently and just look at Calvin Parker he could remember the original Pascagoula incident that he thought was a one-off but with Kat Marden now he's gone back and there's been four occasions but he could only clearly remember the one of them now you imagine somebody think about it again it's an electrical energy. It's your thoughts, every thought you have is an electrical energy. So if you can control that, you can control what somebody remembers. And that's why sometimes ET, for want of a better phrase, will substitute different thoughts that make it... I mean, oh, as a human, we always tend to try and rationalise things anyway. But they will still implant thoughts and impressions that would make it more acceptable so that it's not as bizarre, so that it's not as scary. And 
I did an, obdu- an abduction uh, investigation for Bufora uh, that Philip helped me out on, and it was for adults. And one of the things that stuck in my mind was uh, one of the guys, there were two, I had four adults, but two men, two women. And one of the men, men, he said, if you can imagine your normal memory as a videotape, he says, I remember it as that videotape's been chopped up into pieces of different length. Some of it's missing completely. Some of them are back in wrong order. And he says, it's all jumbled up in my head. He says, it's just not right in my head. He says, that's how it's been, dis- like it's been disrupted, you know. Uh, and then, yes, you will see uh, the screen memories as you're talking about, where that's why owls are associated. They'll say, oh, I saw an owl, and then that's it. But that they can implant that into your mind. I mean, of course, it makes sense. If you can manipulate electricity and the electromagnetic spectrum on that on that way, then, of course, you could do that. Because all it is is electrical energy, which makes complete sense. Damn, man. Okay. I, I love this. This is so simple. <laughs> well, it is simple. This is why it's blowing my mind a little bit, man, is because, yes, you go out and you you do all this research and, and you start inevitably one way and then we all kind of uh, come to our own conclusions on this, but it is so damn simple, but it also ties in kind of the other research I do on the other sides that aren't as- that I thought weren't associated with the UFO phenomena, like spirituality, like manifestation practices, yeah. like afterlife, uh, reincarnation, all of these things. It it wraps all of it up in a bow. And I don't know how the hell you fit this in one little book, man, but that's amazing. Well, I, well uh, <laughs> it's, it obviously could be done in a lot more depth. Yeah. But, it's, but if you think about it like that, especially on the paranormal thing, it makes so much sense. I mean, orbs, right. Have, have you ever been to Florida, to Casadega? It's near Daytona. The Florida, but not there. No, sir. Okay. Well, I, I went there, and there's a little, uh, it's only a small community, maybe 100, 150 homes, uh, and it's a spiritual community that was sort of set up from the 1800s, uh, and it's like a retirement community, but it's a development community too. So as a, as a visitor, you could go, you could stay at the hotel in Casadega, you could have readings, they, uh, the couple that we met out there were English, but they lived and worked in Florida at the time. And they lost a teenage daughter. Uh, and the wife wanted to go and sort of get some comfort, get some, you know, confirmation, if you like, that she was still okay or doing or whatever. So we went. And while we're there, uh, this person that was there said, do you want to do the orb walk? And it's like, what's the orb walk? Okay. Yeah, we'll have some of that. So, and during the summer term or the nice weather, uh, every Friday and Saturday night, you can actually go there and meet in their church. And then you have a little speech and you go around and their minister takes you around. It's spiritualist. And he takes you around and explains. It's only like a small village, maybe only a mile, a mile and a half walk. You're only there like, you're walking real slowly and taking pictures. So maybe it takes you half an hour, that's all. But, what was really interesting was while we were there, the their church was being repaired, had some damage from a storm. So they were using the village hall as the place of worship. So it was laid out exactly the same, a big center aisle and two smaller spaces down the either side, but then all the seats lined up down to the bottom. So I'm sort of, we walked in and people were just milling about, but there was nobody down the church, if you like. Everybody was at the entrance. So I started to walk down one side 
As I walked down one side, I got to this picture of, I think it was something like Van Gogh's uh, sunflowers or something that was just stuck on the wall. And I felt something as I'm turning to talk to my wife. I felt a presence at the side of me. And my hair stood on end and the hair on my arm stood up, just like somebody was stood at the side of me. And my wife was stood there with the camera. And I said, Eve, take the picture. And she took my picture. Uh, and then I went, walked over to her and we had a look. And there was seven or eight orbs around me on the picture. So I said, right, quick, you go down there, stand in exactly the same place. I'll stand where you were. So we just reversed roles. And then I took her picture. And she said she didn't feel anything. And guess what? There were no orbs on the picture. <laughs> Damn. So. <laughs> so it is something that we can perceive and we can sense, and we just need to trust yeah, our intuition just, and our senses a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and also what I think about when I think about this too is uh, back to the afterlife and past lives and things like that, and us all achieving, it is kind of like a, a, a strive toward nirvana, as you were saying, which the Buddhists point out. But it, it does make me think that it's not just human that we're here to experience. So you actually may evolve to this next level or the next record and you level yeah. up whenever you figure things yeah. out here. And now you have to start yeah. over and figure it out from a different reality's perspective. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of being in if you don't do that? You know? Yeah, yeah no, you're right. But, in, but then it also speaks to the unity consciousness thing to where all consciousness is itself. It's all the same. We're just individualistic expressions of the whole. You know, that idea that that's it. Well, then, of course, it would involve other dimensions, other realities, other realms, other entities. Uh, it's fascinating, man. I, I really, really like this perspective. I really do. It's it's really interesting. Good. Good. Uh, well, let well, me add... that's... Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's what I've tried to do. What I've tried to do is get a new perspective on it for people to think outside the box and sort of, for me, it was, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sound like whatever, but it was to try and help steer people in the right direction. It, but it's right, because it's people, right time. You know, all, everything happens at yeah. the right time and you've put this out yeah. at the right time. Wow. I, I, people uh, tend to get so, I mean, you can't knock people for it. It's, it's like going back to the damn COVID thing. People get the propaganda, and if they don't know any better, you can't blame them if they've got it wrong. You know, it's like you will learn. But at the end of the day, by pointing things out, uh, showing the bigger picture is what I've tried to do, and that's what I was trying to do to get people to look and think, well, maybe there is something to this. And instead of just doing, I don't know, say poltergeist or just doing whatever investigations, they can look at the bigger picture and think that obviously there is a lot more to it. And of course it's connected. I mean, all the ancillary phenomena, it's like Stephen Greer talks about Jacques Vallée, um, of course, Bud Hopkins, of course, um, who did the Mothman, John Keel. I mean, it, it's, John Keel, all, yeah. yeah, all of it's associated. And of course all of it's associated because it's all the same thing. We're all one, we're all unity consciousness. It's, but it, the way that you put it though, man, and I, I've yet to hear an idea like this to where it wasn't just something to where, I was able to mentally process the idea dispassionately and just look at it and go, oh, these are facts. This is this person's observation about it. And then it, it, it's not compartmentalized to me. There's no like, with this idea in particular, there's no, okay, here's what the idea is. And then maybe it's connected, maybe it's not to other things. And then you kind of form your own opinion on it. And that's it. What this is doing for me right now, which is why, again, I'm a little off my game here mentally because I'm thinking a lot about this, is that it, it gives me a new exciting way to view the phenomena and honestly 
reality itself. You've expanded the hell out of my reality on this one, man. So this is incredible. And I hope that. Yeah, well, just think else. about it. Go on. Oh, I was just saying, I hope that does that for everybody else, too, because if you've looked into the phenomena at all, I mean, this is it. And even if you're new to the phenomena, pick up this book first and then look at all the other other parts <laughs> of it. Wow. Yeah. One thing I was just going to mention there was cryptids and other things that people see. I'm going to Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever. At the end of the day, they are in a different, they're on a different record to us. And that is why often people will say they'll see something and they were terrified. How often do we hear people say, I saw Bigfoot and I was terrified to me. Oh, you know, it scared them to death, you know. And that's to get that innate fear. And again, it's because it's a different dimension that they see in. Now, I'm not saying, yeah. And now I'm not saying that they don't exist. They do exist, but they don't exist where you and I exist. And it's occasionally, it happens where we do overlap. We, I gave, I give an instance in my book of a guy called Don Willans, who was one of the great British climbers who went, did Annapurna and uh, Everest with Chris Bonington. So it was right up there at the top of the tree. And I went, I was very fortunate and I was taken to see a lecture of his at a local university. And it was a Yorkshireman. Uh, and he said, I have seen a Yeti. He said, we were on one of the uh, base camp at Annapurna. And he said, well, I got up early one morning to have a pee, was his actual words. <laughs> and he says, and I got up, he said, I got out the tent. And he said, and a Yeti was walking over the ridge line going away from me. He says, it was huge. He says, he would say, you know, eight, nine foot tall. And he said, I could, he said, I didn't have a camera. He says, I just wanted to relieve myself, you know. And he said, and, it, and this thing was in front of me and going away from me. He says, and by the time I, I managed to wake everybody else up, and get a camera, it had long gone. Uh, but they went over to where it was, and they took film of the footprints that it had made. And he said, nobody will ever, ever convince me otherwise. He said that they don't exist. He said, that were real, you know. And that's just in the things that are affecting us in the visible, and again, our limited five senses reality. So even if these yeah. things are able to yeah. come from other dimensions, they could they could vibrate just out of the ultraviolet frequency and we couldn't see them. And But they're standing right there from, from our perspective. And this is also why you can get probably, again, it, it ties it all together. This is why you get poltergeist activity. Maybe they're physically yeah. there, but visibly we can't see them. And they can affect things in our reality, but we can't visually sense them because our vision acuity is so narrow banded. Uh, this is also why you get things that are picked up on infrared cameras that we can't see. Um, like in, again, Trey Hudson's uh, Meadow Project, he filmed some really interesting stuff, people turning into orbs, shooting across or rematerializing uh, in a FLIR camera, but not visible to the naked eye. So again, all the associated phenomena um, is, is fascinating. And of course they would if they're vibrating at our frequency in our reality, even within our hearing range and then visible light spectrum, then they would affect the environment around us. This is why you get like the landing incidences where there are pad imprints or you get Bigfoot tracks and then they, they, they turn a corner and they're gone. And again, um, you know, you talk about the Oz effect and you talk about, you know, Bigfoot stinks. I've heard that a lot. He smells like hot garbage um, yeah. mixed with death, right? And so maybe that, though, is a result of either the process of slipping into this reality or vibrating at this frequency. Maybe there's some sort of uh, physical friction that occurs with that or that they just smell bad and they need a shower. They need some deodorant. We don't know. 
Man, like I said, you, you, mentally you've got me just spinning on this stuff, man. Being a researcher of this of the phenomena and ancillary phenomena, associated phenomena for well over a decade and a half, two decades, man. It, it's very interesting to me, your perspective on it. I, I love this. This is, it's exciting. I feel like a, like a child again, you know, exploring some new concept for the first oh, time. Oh, good. That's great. I've done good today, then. You've done great, man. I think better than you know, honestly, because now I won't be able to start to stop talking about this. So thank you. Now the audience is all out there just going, great. Now every show is going to be about um, uh, Paul and his conversation, <laughs> and that's all he's going to say. That's fascinating, man. Well, I, I, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up here, man, but I, I want to get you back on and talk to you more about this because I need some time yeah, to sure. men- mentally process this for a little bit. I, okay, well, if you don't mind, uh, just tell them where they can find you in any closing ideas or thoughts that you had okay um well my book is out from may the first called ufos the real story available on amazon uh by plain disc press and it's available as an ebook as a paperback and very shortly it will also be available as an audiobook Perfect. Okay. And uh, then I'll link anything down in the show notes that you'd like. If you have like your Facebook, for instance, and in ad- absolutely your Facebook group, it's the real story. I will be linking down in the show notes as well. Uh, Paul, I can't thank you enough, man. This has been, this has been a true honor and a, a very, a huge treat, man. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. I'm really pleased. Good. Well, me too. You're, you're in Soul Tribe now. You're, you've, you've got a home here on Expanding Reality. And again, thanks for getting me tongue-tied. Not a lot of people can do that. So thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're very welcome. And thank you for having me. Ooh, a massive thanks to Paul Askoff for coming on the show. His book, of course, and how to find him will be linked in the bottom of the show notes. You guys pick this up. Uh, also keep in mind, this is his first book. So uh, just let that marinate there for a little bit that he's going to be blowing our minds in the future with even more stuff, uh, which I'm incredibly grateful for and incredibly excited to get him back on and talk to him about millions of questions, millions of questions. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I, as far as this show goes, guys, y'all can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where all the links to all the socials are, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, uh, YouTube as well, where the video will be up, uh, as well as our Patreon. If you guys find the show valuable and you feel like you are compelled to uh, contribute just a little bit, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, no real cap on as much. So you guys just feel free to, if you're like, ah, oh, that's too much. No, it's, it's not. It's fine. Uh, another thing to take away from this, guys, is to enjoy this week exploring this topic mentally. Um, it, it's going to take a while to process, but, but I love the idea. I love the concept. I'm so grateful for him for coming on the show and talking to us about this. I, as well, while you're doing all of that and contemplating the uh, nature of reality, uh, pick up a piece of litter uh, on the ground. This is how you level up in your record there and skip to that next track on that on that record and move towards the center hole where that God frequency is, uh, as well as just be nice to other people, guys. Buy a meal. Get out of the left-hand lane. We all know how frustrating that is. You're moving toward the devil. If you're hanging out in that left-hand lane, don't do it. Uh, As well as just in general, ladies and gentlemen, y'all be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.